I can't tell you how good it feels to be here once again and to see these benches um, filled in a different sense of the word, but uh, so good on this beautiful Sunday that the Lord has blessed us with that we can once again gather in God's house of prayer to worship him, to pray to him, and together to um, hear God's word. It was... uh, three months ago that I preached the very first sermon to an empty church, and uh, needless to say, that felt very, very strange. This does feel a little bit strange as well, but um, but certainly a blessing to, to be here and to be able to see um, all of you once again, and I, from my heart, welcome you. It's so good. The... As I considered what might be an appropriate message for this special service, in a sense that we we are able to reunite here at our church, I um, realized that the the text that I've been meditating on in James, the verses that we are coming to, are a very appropriate text uh, for this occasion. I've covered, uh, together we've looked at uh, um, the book of James, the beginning verses over uh, a period of time, and and uh, James 1 really begins with a challenge for believers, for Christians, to be able to see that the trials that they face in life are really something that God intends for their good, something to help them to grow and to become more Christ-like, and to grow in their faith, and to place more of their trust in God. And in the process of placing that trust in God, that they would seek uh, and go to God, seeking wisdom, seeking those things that will help us to grow and to be more sanctified and to, to uh, instead of going to the world for answers, that we would go and, and ask those things from God. And that we would continue to trust him all of our lives through until ultimately we receive, as we learn from James 1, that crown of life that God has prepared for his children, for those that love him. And so I sincerely hope that these past three months, as we have not been able to gather here, that nevertheless we have been able to grow in our relationship with Christ. That the trials of sort, and it certainly has been a trial, that in in different ways for, for, for all of us that we are going through, have served to, to draw us closer to God, to trust Him more, and to, and to have more of that fruit of the Spirit in our hearts and in, in our lives. That love, joy, peace, the patience, the, the gentleness, the goodness, the faith, the meekness, the temperance, all of those things that, that God through His Holy Spirit wants to generate in the life of His children. And although God does allow trials in our lives and difficulties to sanctify us and also to bring glory and honor to his name, uh, the next verses in James, which I'm going to kind of skip over but just briefly mention, the next verses clearly show us that God is not the one that brings temptation to sin into our lives. God is not the author of of um, of, of evil and and um, sickness and suffering. He's not the author of this pandemic that the world is is in, or or all the results of that, or or everything else that is happening. He allows things, 
But we need to understand, as this text that we'll be reading this morning clearly shows us, that God is good. All of that which we see happening around us and before even this in the world is the result, the Bible teaches us, of the fall of man. In Romans we read, by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and with it, all of the brokenness and heartache and difficulty that we see in the world. And so, you know, when the world looks um, on these things and, and sees the things that are, are wrong and, and um, unjust, you know, they're very quick to point their finger at God or even their finger at us, at those that believe in God and, and, and trust him as being a good God. And, and they'll say things like, how can God allow this? Or how could a loving God permit these things to happen? And why doesn't he do something about it to stop these things? Well, the reality is that, and, and really it is an irony, that God did do something about it. Unfortunately, the world has, has not recognized that and does not see what uh, we can see and read clearly. Um, and so for that reason, James, if we begin here, and we'll just have three verses for our text this morning, in verse 16, he says, Do not err, my beloved brethren. In other words, um, he's pointing to the previous verses. And he's trying to set this, the record straight. So let's read these verses. James uh, chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And I just uh, want to briefly mention um, a welcome to the children that are joining us for this service. Um, I know that you're probably anxious to be in your Sunday school classes with your friends, but we welcome you here to our service as well and trust that the Lord will also be able to speak into your hearts as well. And so James says here, do not err. In other words, um, he's really saying, make no mistake about it. Don't be misled and, and don't be deceived into thinking or believing something that isn't true. He wants us to know that God is the author and God is the source of what is good, what is righteous, what is, what is holy. And he places a choice before us, before all of mankind. And we, we read that very clearly in the words of Scripture. The choice between a blessing and a curse. The choice between life and between death. And God is the author of those things that are good. For we read in the next verse that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. In other words, it's from him, from our heavenly Father who loves us and cares for us. Ephesians 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. These gifts and these blessings, they reveal to us the goodness of God, the grace of God, 
the love and the mercy and the compassion of God. They, they show us his nature and character of who and what he truly is. In the next uh, verse here, or in the same verse, it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. And this is a clear reference for us of God. Not only the Heavenly Father, but the Creator God. The one that created what we see. In the heavens, and he did that, the Bible tells us, through Jesus Christ. We read in Colossians that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in the earth, visible and invisible. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Jesus Christ, that part of the Trinity, um, the Son of God, God through Christ created the wonders that we see not only in this world, but especially that which we see in the heavens above us. And all, all of creation, as it unfolds before us, speaks of this majesty and glory and the wonder of God's creative work that that we can behold. And that is especially true for for the universe uh, in the sense of the heavens and what we see. And I think all of us have marveled to be able to, on a clear night, um, of which we've had some recently, and even in the city you can see the stars, but as soon as you get away from the cities, uh, it's just like... The lights go on in the universe, and, and all of a sudden, uh, the farther you get away from the lights and, and um, of the cities, uh, it just unfolds, and you can begin to see the Milky Way. And those of you that have had the privilege to be in the, the southern hemisphere, and, and it's, it's an amazing sight to, just to see how, how the stars just keep multiplying as, as your eyes train to, to that vast expanse. And and this is really what James has in mind here when he says, the father of lights. And, and the scripture testifies of, of this, this reality, this truth, that, and, and we read it in Psalm 19, the first two verses, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day after day they continue to speak, and night after night, they make him known. They, all of that makes God known. And sadly, so few really recognize the God of the universe, the God who created all of these things. And Isaiah says, look up into the heavens. Who created the stars? And then it adds this amazing um, thought, truth. He calls them all by name. Let me repeat that. Look up into the heavens. Who created the stars? He, God, the creator God, he calls them all by name. And then it goes on to say, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. And we know that they, 
they exist in this vast universe in, in perfect harmony and in, in perfect formation and, and God has placed them there and, and what an awesome thought that is. What an awesome God we have that create, could create such wonders but that also created us. And as we consider just for a few moments here this, this vast universe and, and the heavens and, and the glory of all of the stars and the planets and the, and the galaxies. You know, scientists, um, they really have a hard time agreeing and coming to terms with really how many, uh, uh, not only, uh, well, they have a hard time accepting, first of all, uh, and agreeing that God is the one that created these things. And not only in the sky, but on the earth, um, the things that we can see and even the things that we can't see. But they also have a hard time in, in, in agreeing just how many stars are up there? How many galaxies are there? How far does all of this go? And, and, and what is the real numbers of, of the expanse of that? Well, there's, there is something that scientists do agree with uh, God on and, and even with the Bible. And that is that, that the best way to even begin to try to count that is by the sand on the seashore. Um, or the sand that, that is there. And, and all of us can kind of relate to that in a sense. And, and according to some scientists, and this is really kind of mind boggling, but to, according to some scientists, there are ten Times more stars in the night sky than grains of sand in all the world's deserts and beaches. Try to wrap your head around that. Isn't that an incredible, an incredible thought? I, I brought something here this morning. This is just a liter of sand. One liter of sand. And just to Briefly, and for bear with me here, I want to just engage uh, maybe somebody in the Sunday school, and we have a few children right up front here. How many grains of sand, if one of you wants to just think about this for a moment, I know when there's a birthday party or a gathering, you love to, to have a jar filled with jelly beans, um, candy, and guess how many there are, and whoever guesses the closest to the right number, they become the one that, again, so I'll offer you this uh, um, Jar, but that's not really meaningful. But does one of you want to just guess how many grains of sand are there in this jar? You can put up your hand. Any guess is good. 500,000. 500, Great guess. Sorry? Two million? Okay. Can we have one more guess, Samuel? You look like you're trying to guess. 1.8 million. Uh, let's put it this way. You're all cold. Very cold. 8 million grains of sand in this one liter container of sand. If any of us could count one grain of sand per second and do that for 10 hours a day, it would take you 222 days to count all of the grains of sand in this jar. 
That's one leader. One leader. So one scientist uh, gave a very rough estimate of 10, that there are 10 trillion galaxies in the universe. And if he were or we were to multiply the estimated amount of stars that are in the Milky Way, which is estimated at 100 billion stars, um, and multiply that times those 10 trillion galaxies that they, they are able to, to estimate roughly, very roughly, they come up with a number of one septillion. I think I got that right. One septillion. That's an American way of measurement. Just to give you an idea of what that number looks like, it is the number one with 24 zeros after it. And after he gives this rough estimate, he says that that is probably a gross underestimation. The reality is that the better their telescopes become, the more they recognize how vast and how great this universe is. And to think for a moment that that this is something we can't comprehend, that God has placed them there, and he has called each of them by name. Psalm 147, uh, the fourth verse, he counts the number of the stars. He calls them all by name, and how truly amazing that is. But there is something that is even more amazing than, than that. And we read that in Psalm 139, um, a couple verses here, it says, How precious also are thy thoughts about me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. And when I awake, I am still with thee. The, the, the thoughts that God has towards us, towards you, towards me, towards his creation, us, are innumerable. And, and certainly here when the Bible says that it is somewhat of a hyperbole and that, that it's, it's an exaggeration, but really it's saying that, that we can't measure it. We can't know the full extent of, of all that, uh, of God's love towards us. And, and that, that he knows us by our names, each and every one of you, from the youngest child to the oldest person that is here this morning. He knows everything about us. As the Bible says, he knows us from our uh, going down to our rising up. He knows our past. He knows our future. He knows everything that you're thinking and everything that you're going through. And he cares. He deeply cares about all of those things. And the Bible even tells us that he knows the exact number of hairs that are on our head. And, and if he cares for a sparrow that falls, that he also cares for you and for me. And what a wonderful, what an amazing thought that is. What an amazing reality that is that we can believe that. So, there's a number of scriptures I want to share with you. Psalm 8, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. And when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, 
He asked this question. What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that you should care for him? Psalm 139, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful and I know that full well. Beloved, these are scriptures. These are truths from God's word. The truth of the word that God gives to us and wants us to to claim and to believe in. And in Jeremiah it says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and to give you a hope, an expected end. The thoughts that God has towards us, they are precious. And they are, are, are something that, that is not only innumerable, but is also immeasur- is of immeasurable wealth. Because we serve such a great and a loving God. And... And not only is he the one that created all of that to display his majesty and his glory, but as we can read here um, in verse 18, it says, with whom, in other words, with this great God, this creator God, this loving God, there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So, I don't have to repeat it because it's been said so many times, the world that we live in, is constantly changing. And, and we've seen that firsthand in these last, in these past months, how rapidly things can change. How, how eight and a half seconds can, can change the world as drastically as it has. How a, a virus that, that is not even visible, uh, to the naked eye could, could have such far-reaching impact and effect. And so many things cause this world to be so changing. And, and, and really, as I, in that first message, talked about the world being shaken, truly the world has been shaken, shaken up in many different ways. And, and in the midst of all of that change and uncertainty, the Bible tells us this morning that with God, There is no variableness and neither shadow of turning. The world, in this world, uh, there will be a lot of change and, and disappointments. People will turn on you. Situations in life will turn on you and, and become, um, very different. But yet God is constant. Even when we are inconsistent and even when our faith perhaps wanes or we begin to doubt, we know that God is faithful. In in Timothy it says, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. He has to be true to himself. He cannot be anything other than what he is and what he will always be. And life is fragile and life is full of these changes. Yet God is solid and secure. Our God is unshakable. He's unchanging, unwavering, unfading, unfaltering, unswerving, and unending. And all of that speaks to the very truth and reality that with him, 
there is no variableness. And even as shadows in life change, and this is probably a, um, uh, an illustration of what the way they told times, uh, told time in, in Bible times by a sundial, placing a sundial, um, we know that the shadow changes to tell the time of day. And, and shadows are constantly changing. There will be different shadows when you, when you leave church this morning than when you came here this morning because of the movement of the sun. But God is not like that. With him, there is no changing. In, in Lamentations, it says, The steadfast love of our Lord never ceases. The Lord's compassions are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And shortly we'll be singing the song, and I, I selected a number of songs this morning to, to coincide with the message. Not only for the children, but, but also familiar songs that really speak of this majesty and glory of God and, and of his great faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. The Bible tells us that, that God says, For I am the Lord, and I change not. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what an honor it is, what a privilege it is that, that we as God's children can know this, that, that our God is unchanging, and he's always the same, and he'll be there for us as he has in the past and will be in the future. And so moving on to the, the next, uh, the last verse, 18, and I'd like to, to give this to you, paraphrase from uh, a different translation, um, and read it to you this way. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all of creation, become his prized possession. What a wonderful truth that is. God has chosen to offer to every one of us, to everyone, life, eternal life through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes on him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. This is his true word that has been given to us. This is the gospel of salvation. And this word is the very word that contains, as the Bible says, those great and precious promises, so that by these we might be partakers of the divine nature, that we might become the, the children of God, having escaped the corruption that is in this world through the lust that is in this world. This word of truth is the very thing that becomes the lamp for our feet and the light for our path. The very thing that we need as we go through life so that we would not need to walk in a shadow. Because when we walk in the light of his word and live in the promises that he has given, then we will be walking in the light, as the Bible says, as he is in the light. And you know, to the children that are here, and so thankful that you are here with us this morning, 
you know, the Bible, Timothy said, uh, Paul said to Timothy, rather, he said that from a child you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. And I know that that is true for every one of you children that are here this morning, as it's true for most of us that have been here, because we grew up in Christian homes, coming to church, learning Bible stories, being in Sunday school, being taught the Word of God. And what a privilege that is. But it's given so that you might believe and that you might also be able to not only hide that word. I was so encouraged um, by those of you, many of you, that learned all of those verses and memorized those verses and hid them in your heart. God will bless you for that. And that very word will also become that light for you in life as you go on in your life. And we hope that you continue in those truths and never depart from them. And we all, you and all of us, have this privilege to become his prized possession, to become, in a sense, this first fruit. Jesus Christ, in in being resurrected from the dead, in a sense, became a first fruit. He was the first fruit of that resurrection from the dead. That is offered to all. As James writes to these early believers, they were also a type of first fruits that had become dedicated to God, had become his children as a result of the gospel and the preaching that was going out into the world. And, and we are also that first fruit in the sense that we have become a prized possession. In a sense, the crowning piece of that creation we know that man was created, mankind was created last, but became first in a sense. Became the most precious and most valuable to God our Heavenly Father. So much so that He has gone to such great lengths to redeem us and to save us and to offer to all eternal life. What a privilege, what a, what an awesome privilege that is to be able to have that given to us, offered to us by a loving God who made each and every one of us and knows us so intimately and also wants to have that that loving, um, intimate relationship with each and every one of us. And so the invitation goes out once again and, and begs the question, why not choose him today? Why not choose him today if... For the first time, if you've never done that, today, while you hear his voice, don't harden your heart, but turn to him, surrender your life to him, turn to God in repentance, put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. For some, maybe maybe it's choosing him again for the first time in a long time, and maybe if, if you've wandered away in, in whatever capacity from that loving relationship, God lovingly invites you and calls you to come back into his arms. And to do that, all of us as his children, for the rest of time, as many days as God gives us upon this earth, that we would be able to, to um, walk with him in the light of his word, in the light of his presence, Beholding the glory, the majesty of all creation around us, from the sky to the sea to the land. 
and recognizing that all of that is created by God, given to us to enjoy and to behold, but above all, that relationship that he wants to have with us. And I'd like to close with a reading from the book of Ephesians, the first chapter, that brings this all together for us. The, the, the glory, the majesty, the goodness of God as it's described to us there. I'd like to begin um, here with verse, uh, verse 4 through to verse 13. Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the a purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first who first trusted in Christ, in whom also um, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Until that day, God can and will and wants to keep us. Great, beloved, great is his faithfulness. Let's turn to that hymn. Let's stand together and sing that hymn, all four verses, to God's honor and glory. Amen.